Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's Conversation is Julia Mason, MD. She's a pediatrician in Gresham, Oregon, and she has been working diligently along with SAGEM, or the Society of Evidence-Based Gender Medicine, to raise awareness specifically, in her case, with regard to the American Academy of Pediatricians' statements around gender medicine for youth and the lack of thorough research behind those statements. In this conversation, we get a lay of the land of pediatric medicine. I learned a lot. It's kind of fascinating in and of itself from a systems perspective and also from just a basic curiosity about what it is to be a healthy child and a healthy growing human. But we also talk about the state of bureaucracy that is influencing gender-based medicine with regard to American youth. Fascinating stuff. If you're really interested and want to learn more, there are plenty of links in the description. She's a wonderful guest. Glad to have her on. So without further ado, here is Julia Mason. Don't you have to be kind of weird to get into pediatrics? Or is that a very normal profession? Well, I mean, that's something that's something that I want to talk about is that generally it's the soft hearted um, bleeding heart liberals who go into pediatrics. And that's one of the reasons that I think the the AAP is in such a pickle right now. Are there any hard ass uh, hard asses in the in the profession? Well, I mean, there's hard-ass woke pediatricians hmm. that I've encountered. Well, um, no, there was a there was a schism in 2002. Oh wow! And um, the American College of Pediatrics was formed. Okay. Um, that's that's worth being part of the part of the interview as well. Okay. Be- yeah. Because cool. Um, I didn't know there was. Of course, there's going to be a bunch of Machiavellian backstabbing, uh, War of the Roses, Games of Thronesy, pediatric. Uh, oh right, yeah. Vying for the power, right? Like, yeah, for power, <laughs> the power. <laughs> Did have you seen? Have you seen that? You probably haven't. There's a doctor who makes very funny videos. He makes like TikTok videos where he plays all the roles. And Glunken Flocken or something, but he did a recent one that was the pediatric department meeting, and and he's like, okay, and the DPA. So first, we're gonna pass the hat. <laughs> we're raising them. Like, what are we raising money for? Blood pressure cuffs. Why can't the hospital buy them? They bought a robot. <laughs> a robot to do surgery. And he's like, didn't they buy a robot? This robot assists the other robot. <laughs> and then and then it turns out that like there's somebody there who isn't a pediatrician, but they want to be there because like you see, you guys seem like you're having all the fun and you're cool and we would like to be. And they're like, well, if you're going to be in pediatrics, you have to answer the question, what is the what is the best thing about being a pediatrician? And he goes, everything. <laughs> <laughs> 
And they're like, yes. <laughs> so yeah, pediatricians are different. Okay. So let's get the lay of the land then. Okay. So pediatrics is anything having to do with what, 17 and younger, right? Oh, no. P- um, pediatricians what? generally will see kids up to 21. Okay. And then there's a, there's a post-residency specialty training you can do called adolescent medicine. And if you specialize in adolescent medicine, you're comfortable seeing kids sort of between, I don't know, I don't know what the, I don't know what the lower bound is, but to 25. Okay. And so sometimes I tell my patients, I'll see you till you're 18, 21 if I like you. Yeah. And, and you're still <laughs> covered by insurance. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and pediatrics is specifically about the body or the body and the mind. Well, that's a good question. Psychiatry Um, or physiology, physiognomy? Almost all primary care physicians practice some amount of psychiatry these days because there aren't that many psychiatrists and boy, there aren't child psychiatrists, especially in this area. It's hopeless. I remember I had a girl who- In Portland? um, I mean, sorry, the Pacific Northwest? I don't know about the Pacific Northwest. I'm just talking about, I'm in Gresham. Okay. Most of my patients have public health insurance. Oh. If you have fancy private insurance, I'm sure there's many options. But for my patients with OHP, I got almost nothing. I've got some overworked health centers that specialize in OHP patients, and they have one psychiatrist, and you, you refer them for therapy, and then maybe the therapist refers them for psychiatry if they if they need it. I had one mom who explained to me that, what you have to do is you have to go to the emergency room and say that your kid is suicidal. And then they will set you up with Catholic community services. Oh, and, uh, and she quite deliberately did that to get her, her 11 year old, some services that she was, cause she had contacted the Morrison center, which is what I was referring to. And they'd said, we don't have any openings. And she's like, we need help now. Okay. So she went to the emergency room. And so this field covers what, probably not zero. Birth to 21. Oh, so birth to 21. Yeah, birth to 21. And a lot uh, of we, things happen a lot. during, that, during yeah, that time. There's a lot that happens. Yeah. Uh, we do a lot. But yeah, so primary care doctors do a lot of psychiatry. I mean, fluoxetine, Prozac, it kind of came out when I was in medical school. So it was a big deal. So that's a SSRI or SSRI, right? So uh, Prozac was the first SSRI and it was amazing because prior to that, all of the antidepressants were toxic in overdose. So, you know, imagine you're, you're a psychiatrist and you have a patient and they're terribly depressed and they're suicidal. And it's like, here's a medicine that will maybe help. But if you swallow a handful, it'll kill you. Please don't do that. Yeah. You know, yeah. so, so, like so in the old days, and, uh, tranquilizers, tricyclics, um, tricyclic antidepressants. Um, those were the big ones. The big one was the tricyclics, imipramine, all those. And uh, those those are toxic and overdose. Benzo. Yeah. Benzos. I, I my policy on benzos is um, you get benzos when you're about to have surgery. That's what they're for. They're not for use at home. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, that's my personal policy on benzos. They seem pretty or pre-procedural. Intense. I have 
like um, I have written them for um, Down syndrome or autistic kids who go ballistic. And so we need to do something to chill them out before we draw their blood, etc. Oh, geez. Okay. So not only are you dealing with the body and all mm-hmm. the things that are going on in the body, you're dealing mm-hmm. with uh, Down syndrome, autistic spectrum disorder. You're dealing with all depression, the great, anxiety. The great panoply of life. Yeah. Okay. The whole thing. All of it. And, and at this you're office, trying to speak we, to somebody who's in the middle of development, so they c- can or can't understand you, and they're going to change their mind in three minutes anyways because of the hormones. Yeah, and actually, I mean, that's it. my background in pediatrics was what sent up red flags when I heard about what they were saying to gender dysphoric kids, you know, when they're like, oh, 99% of kids put on puberty blockers go on to the cross-sex hormones and the rest of it. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, and they're saying it like, this shows that kids just know. The kids know. And I'm like, no, this shows that your puberty blockers are not a harmless pause because 99% of 12-year-olds don't know what they're going to wear tomorrow. You know, like, <laughs> like 99% of 12-year-olds are not sure about anything. So it, it, on a statistical level, if you were to look for evidence, <laughs> it is pretty big. I have my little <laughs> tiny. Um, oh, that's, branding. Yeah, but, oh, branding. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, so, but if you were looking for evidence that puberty blockers were a pause, then you would see a split 50-50 or 25-75. At least 25-75. Okay. Like, at least something like that. The, you know, Could you just reason that? Like, like, just for somebody logically deficient such uh-huh. as me, like, why does 99% show? I guess n- the, the idea that 99% flag. of kids put on puberty blockers continue down the transition path, there. There's very, there are very few diagnoses we can make with 99% confidence. Oh, okay. You know, I mean, like you can make a diagnosis of diabetes okay. with 99% confidence because there are blood tests that you can do. And if you have a single blood sugar over, I think, 130, or if you have a hemoglobin A1C, which kind of measures your average blood sugar over the past two months, if that's over six and a half percent, then they're like, you have diabetes, too okay. much sugar, Okay. diabetes mellitus. So, so what we're saying, yes. diabetes, you could probably get like, I guess the false positives on a diabetes misdiagnosis, is probably like 99% accurate, right? Because it's just like yes. blood work. And then you have something uh, somewhere in between, which is more psychological, like uh autism spectrum disorder spectrum even means like well maybe maybe not who knows more Mm -hmm. or less and the battery of diagnoses um are probably pretty complex and then what you the prescriptions for the di uh the diagnosis uh more like coping mechanisms for autism which would be like strategies to communicate to uh deal with your temper emotions regulation stuff like that behavior and then you have this thing called gender which is like, okay, diagnosis. Well, we don't even know what gender is, but there's this diagnosis mm-hmm. uh, that's based on talking. And we have this protocol where watch we can wait and watch or we can block and then we can transform you into uh, this idea of the opposite sex 
mm-hmm. by medicalizing you and developing uh, secondary sex ca- characteristics, which is a pretty drastic surgery based on this concept of gender. And yeah. is there any protocols for pediatric medicine? Like, this is how you tell, how do you diagnose gender? Well, no. And that's one of my big problems with my professional organization, the American Academy of Pediatrics. Um, every other organization, well, I mean, I'm not going to speak to WPATH, but for example, the Endocrine Society put out guidelines in 2017, a year prior to the American Academy of Pediatrics putting out their um, statement on care of gender dysphoric uh, children and young people. And the Endocrine Society was very careful to say, we have no idea how you decide which children are the trans children. But if you find yourself with one of these trans children, then we are the, we are the technicians, we're endocrinologists, we will tell you how to go about doing the transition. And it's the puberty blockers, and then it's the cross-sex hormones, and then it's the surgeries. Okay. But they did not try to, to, to explain to somebody how you would know which kids do and which kids don't need this really radical course of action. And then in 2018, the AAP just leapt into that breach and they're like, oh, we know, we know what you do. You ask the child. And if the child says that they are transgender, well, then they're transgender. What is transgender? Do they define that? Oh, no. I mean, nothing gets well defined. Um, They just say that transgender is the internal experience of feeling that your sexed body is wrong. Um, I'm sure they have a more precise... Well, I don't know if they do, actually. The 2018 AAP statement is really something, and I have to admit that I didn't notice it in 2018. I didn't really get into this until it was the end of 2018, but I wasn't looking at AAP statements at first. Um, So by the time I found the 2018 statement, James Cantor, who you've talked to, had already published his paper fact-checking the AAP statement. And so I never got to look at it with fresh eyes. I always looked at it, you know, knowing that it was full of incorrect, incorrect definitions, incorrect references. It was just a political, a political paper. And there's a fascinating, um, what would you call that? Sort of a, a, I want to say covering your butt, there's a word for it, but but there's something in there where they go, Jason Rafferty is the author of this, and he's responsible for what it says. <laughs> you know, so like, like the, when you look at the paper as published in the journal in the journal Pediatrics, it's just called Pediatrics. That's that's the journal of the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's got 30 names, but Jason Rafferty is first, and then the rest of the names are just all of the people who were in the committee on LGBTQIA, whatever, you know, 
And then they have they have this caveat where they're like, yeah, but it's Dr. Rafferty who wrote this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And apparently nobody fact-checked it, other than Dr. Cantor. Okay, so Cantor, okay. And um, so the AAP's statement, mm-hmm. um, who, who, for which one person is ultimately responsible, is that guidelines? Is this They are not guidelines, no. No, guidelines... They they just say it's a statement, and that's because that's because guidelines are de- defined. That's a defined term, right? Okay. So, if if the American Academy of Pediatrics is putting out guidelines, then they need to do some more serious review of the evidence. They can't just, as they say it now, they say they are reviewing the evidence, but they're not doing a systematic review of the evidence. And because that is a particular thing and there are rules about doing a systematic review of the evidence. Mm -hmm. And it seems that nobody in the United States wants to do a systematic review of the evidence, because if you do that, you need to take into account all of the studies, not just the studies that give the results that you like. You need to look at all of the studies and you need to grade the studies on their quality. And yeah, it doesn't go well. So Sweden has done a systematic review of the evidence and Sweden has decided they're not going to do this except in highly unusual cases and only using puberty blockers as part of a research study, right? Like the only way a kid is going to get puberty blockers in Sweden right now is if they are entered into a research study researching how puberty blockers work since not enough of those have been done. And my understanding is there aren't actually any of those going right now. And Finland has done a review of the evidence. And Finland has decided that they're not going to lead with medical treatment. They're going to lead with psychological care. And the United Kingdom has done a review of the evidence. And they also are moving away from immediate medicalization. I mean, as you've already had guests on, they've, uh, they're shutting down the gender identity development service GIDS in the Tavistock and they're um, sending that out to all the different uh, psych units all over the United Kingdom um, because they perceived that it wasn't a great idea to isolate these people in one place Mm -hmm. where they created their own bubble. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, but what I'm afraid is that in the United States and Canada, we have a giant bubble and information from the outside world is just not getting in. You know, this has been going on for a couple of years now. And I can't get anybody in the American Academy of Pediatrics to listen. Oh, okay. Because they don't have time or they don't want to touch it? Or they don't want to hear it, I think. So oh, they don't want to hear, which is great yeah, to hear that doctors don't want to look don't at it. Don't want to hear about the evidence. Yeah. So hmm. I got, I got. I got interested in this. Um, I published something 
um, and Kevin MD, which is just like a blog for, for doctors, but it, it talks about my first few transgender patients. And the first one I had, I was totally on board. I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. Trans I've heard of that. There's a gender clinic. I can send you to the gender clinic. And the kid went to the gender clinic and now that kid had one of those classical stories, like since I was three, I've always said, you know, this kid uh, born female, female twins. This seems to happen hmm. where there's two female twins and then one of them decides they're trans. But um, has a funny story about people would say, well, if you're a boy, then where's your penis? And he, she, they had uh, one of those belly buttons that sticks out, you know, the little kids and so would say there, that's, that's my penis. And it's, it's cute. It's a cute story. Hmm. So I was like, wow, this is a, this is a thing I've heard of. Um, we have a gender clinic. I'll refer you referred, came back like, oh my God, testosterone is a shot. I hate shots. And I said, well, oh, and they, yeah, they say I have to give myself the shots. I cannot do it. And so we'll just bring the testosterone to the clinic. We'll do it for you. We can't, we can't charge for it, but whatever, we'll do it. And then eventually we taught the kid's grandmother to do it. And this was a 16 year old, 16, 17, old, older teen. Like um, I've, I've lost track of that young person um, cause they're, they're over 21 now. I was treating them for ADHD before and after the transition. And I don't know, I don't know, you know, and so I can't, and I can't really say that that person is thriving and this has been my experience. So this is kind of where I came into it. It's like the first one is like, well, it's okay. They're very excited, happy about the beard, all that kind of stuff. But then like when he coughed or laughed, pee was leaking out. And I'm like, yeah, the testosterone is kind of, it's like, it's like, you have the urethra of an 80 year old woman right now, you know, like old ladies get pee leakage because the tissues of the urethra, you know, where the pee comes out, I, you know, they're more plump if there's estrogen and they're less plump <laughs> if there's no estrogen. And if you're menopausal, there's less and less and less estrogen. So I, I prescribed him estrogen cream. I was like, here, this won't turn you back. And, you know, this won't mess with your beard. But here, just put a little bit where the pee comes out and that might help. And I actually don't know if it helped. But so I was seeing side effect. And then, but then I was just seeing more and more young people coming to me. And they didn't have that story like my first trans patient. They were just like suddenly deciding they were trans in high school and um, hmm. I remember one where I knew nothing and I went back through the chart after they came and they said, actually, I'm a guy and I've changed my name and, and all this. That was the first person. That's the first thing this person did. 18th birthday, had saved up $300, went to the courthouse, legally changed the name. Like that was the first thing. But I went back through the chart looking at my notes and the year previous, I was like, you know, girl's name is quiet today, you know, that was it, you know, so a little bit withdrawn. And then the next year, Hey, I'm a guy and, uh, doesn't seem to be thriving. These, these, so my trans patients are not going to college are, are not, are not like 
blossoming because now they're their true selves and their life is so much better now, which is what I hear about. That's not what I'm, I'm sure it does happen, but that's not what I'm seeing. Um, so and you, so I just, yeah. You saw that ROGD um, cohort. Yeah, I, that, I didn't that know that term, but Littman, yeah, I saw it. Littman, um, Lisa Littman saw that you know, all of her friends' daughters were either knew mm-hmm. somebody who was trans or were trans themselves suddenly out of the blue. And you saw that wave sweep through. I saw, I saw that like happening in miniature form. 2010s, 2010s Portland area? Or? Um, this was, this you know, no, it really was like, 2017, 18, 19, 20. Okay. It's been pretty recent because I'm I'm not in Portland proper. I'm in Gresham. Gresham is like a working class suburb to the east of Portland. And uh, the majority of my patients are on public health insurance, which is actually pretty decent in Oregon. And, and so I think there's not as much. I think there's more of this in Portland proper in the middle class and upper middle class neighborhoods, I think it's happening a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But anyway, so yes, yeah, so I was getting I was getting worried about this, and then I found some other people who felt similarly. And uh, Will Malone is an endocrinologist. You talked to him a couple of years ago, and uh, we formed Segum. And SEGM is the Society for Evidence-Based Gender Medicine. We have a website that I think is just segm.org. And I went to the 2019 American Academy of Pediatrics National Conference and Exhibition, their, their yearly annual big convention. And in 2019, it was in New Orleans. And I was trying to find out whether there were other pediatricians who were concerned as I was, I had these buttons that said like, ask me about at, you know, pediatric transition or something like that. But it turned out like everybody thought that meant I was a big fan. <laughs> so it led to some awkward conversations. I'm not very good at like just marketing politicking, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm okay. cocktail parties, not my thing. Like they literally have sort of, you know, meet and greets, big mixers at the meeting. And I went, like, usually I don't go, but I went and I just wandered around like, mm, I can't say anything. <laughs> um, so, but, but I you did, you did yeah. notice in relief or in cameo that people were avoiding you because they thought you were for it. So there's this silent, maybe oh, majority. I there's hope a... so. I don't know. Okay. I don't, so know. don't know. Okay. Yeah. So there was the most, the most, uh, memorable part of that um, convention was they had a presentation on, you know, uh, care of gender dysphoric kids and youth, you know, medical care. And they had booked it into a double-sized conference room. And even the double-sized conference room, you know, at the convention center was packed. Like there were a lot of pediatricians and there were three gender doctors presenting from East Coast, Southeast, and a guy that I think had a gender clinic in New Orleans. And they were all so pleased to see the room full of pediatricians. And they were kind of like, wow, this is so exciting that you're all here. And so I got the distinct impression that they were thrilled because they assumed that the reason the room was full of pediatricians is because we all wanted to learn how to be life-saving heroes and to help these poor benighted kids 
who are going to, you know, kill themselves unless you transition them. And one of them told a story about uh, being in the exam room with the young trans man, and he's deciding which of three awesome universities he's going to go. He's been accepted at multiple great universities, and which one will he go to? And and, so, and then, the, the, you know, the gender doctor is telling the story, and then suddenly the kid's mother just starts sobbing. And the gender doctor's like, mother, why are you upset? And the mom's like, well, I was just thinking if we hadn't met you, this, none of this would happen. I mean, you probably wouldn't be here. <laughs> and so just this, like this, you know, story that this hmm. young person would surely be dead if hmm. they hadn't been transitioned and now look, it's awesome. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. So at the end of the presentation by the different doctors, they have a couple microphones and I got in line, you know, asking questions and, um, I, I actually, there were a lot of questions and I didn't get to ask my question until our, the time had ended, you know, and so some people are getting up to leave and go to the next thing, but I don't remember what my question was, but I was expressing some skepticism about, you know, about whether this is really the right thing to do for these young people. And the answer, they answered my question and then kind of like everybody got up and left and I got swamped by pediatricians who were like, oh, thank you. Thank you for, you know, thank you for saying that. Thank you for standing up. I'm really confused by this. I don't know why this has happened, you know. And and so I feel like that room was full of pediatricians because there were just, you know, dozens, a couple hundred pediatricians who were like, what is this thing? You know, like I've been a pediatrician for decades and what is this new thing? And why are we doing this? And where did this come from? And of course, this presentation wasn't about any of that. The presentation didn't answer those pediatricians' questions. It literally, I remember they, they were literally like, it's okay. None of us know what we're doing. <laughs> we're all just making it up as we go along. You can do it too. Oh, jeez. That was the attitude. It was like, you can do this. Okay, so there's, there's a, no a a confluence of a medical frontier, which is in, uh, inherently interesting and exciting, and then social justice, LGBTQ mm -hmm. rights, which is inherently justifying. And so the doctors who are involved in this, if they buy mm -hmm. in, they are flooded by great hormones and just the, mm. this, this huge amount of ambition great. and empathy. Mm -hmm. I mean, the yeah. the high has got to be yeah. very great. And then yeah. uh, you're, you're flooded with emotions and then or hormones, chemicals, and then you just start doing that to the kids too. Um, yeah. And then you have this concept called the, called the trans kid, right? This, this in powerful, powerful concept, probably one of the most powerful yeah. concepts I think of the 21st century so far, um, just in mm -hmm. the amount of this idea translating into uh, material reality so right, powerfully right. and so surgically, yeah. hormonally, uh, financially, um, lifelong uh, consequences of this from this idea, trans kid. Have you mm -hmm. seen that concept uh, defined? Have you watched it explode on the scene or uh, just kind of come into being out of nowhere? You just turned the corner in your doctor's office one day and there it was, the trans kid um, shining with the well, holy light. Yeah, I mean, 
it just it just sort of, it sort of came out of nowhere for me and i was just trying to wrap my head around it but these the i tried to talk to these gender doctors sort of out in the hallway after after talking to all the pediatricians um and it, it just it was really obvious that they they viewed themselves to be the life-saving heroes in this you know in this triangle yeah. and and you when know, did the, the right gender thing. doctor come into existence? I've, I've spoken with psychoanalysts and therapists and counselors. The idea of gender mm -hmm. just kind of came out of nowhere. But a gender doctor, a gender clinic, like, yeah. when did well, that I mean, in 2019, There's thousands of them in America now, I think. There are thousands of them. Yeah. In 2019, this, this one woman, I'm, I'm not going to remember her name, who's uh, in, uh, in Tennessee, I think. She was talking about how she ended up opening her own clinic and then she was having patients coming from three or four states and she was letting us know that she was making a, a good amount of money. This is going really well for her. Um, but it sounded like she'd been in it. She'd been at it for at least a couple of years. It does seem like everything exploded in 2015. Mm -hmm. But this is me looking back. Yeah, I kind of got into it early 2019. That's when I started looking around and um, I want I want to tell another story about that meeting going back to New Orleans in uh, October of 2019. Other than the, the the presentation on medicine, I attended my regional breakfast. They called it a breakfast, but they didn't give us any food. And it was at like seven in the morning at the basement basement of the hotel, <laughs> and it's a small conference room. And it's interesting because I think the AAP has multiple regions that are in California because the population is so huge. But my region, and I could be using the wrong term, is Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Alaska, Hawaii. All of mm. us are together. And so it was mostly there's a dais at the front with our leadership. And then we're all sitting in rows and people are giving presentations like this is what we did to get Alaskan kids to exercise more. And, the, you know, they're just giving a little show and tells about what they did with their chapters. And then at the end, you could ask questions. And so I stood up and I said, you know, I'm, I'm here because I'm concerned about what's going on with the transition of children. I feel like this has just, like you said, come out of nowhere and it doesn't have a strong evidence base and nobody can really explain this to me. And um, I'm, I'm concerned that the AP put out a statement, you know, blah, blah, blah. And boy, while I'm standing there, you know, there's a dozen people just staring at me. And this one guy, <laughs> this one guy had had big eyebrows and they're just like touching. And he's just, you know, I had to, I had to like turn and give him a stare like, yes, I see you looking at me. You can stop glaring now. But the guy was like, oh, you have a concern about what the AP is doing. What you need to do is submit a resolution to the annual leadership forum. And I was like, oh, OK, great. And I sat back down. And then the meeting ended and people were leaving and I went up to the, the dais and I was like, okay, so submitting a resolution, how does that go? Like, what do I need to do? And he told me, and it was like, the deadline was November 1st. It's October 20 something. <laughs> I'm like, great. Okay. But because I already was a member of SEGUM, I was actually able to put together two resolutions and submit them by the deadline but i was unable to get a sponsor so you're if you are submitting a resolution to the american academy of pediatrics you're supposed to have a sponsor who is somebody who is 
within the leadership, someone who is at the annual leadership forum. So that would be a chapter president. Every state has a chapter. So the state of Oregon has a chapter and a chapter president or the like the chairman of a committee or the leader of a section. They have various things in the leadership beyond just states and regions. But I had no time for that. You know, like I was just barely getting it in. And as I worked to get it in and learning about how to turn it in and getting hooked up to these Zoom things, I realized that this was just his go-to strategy for annoying people. Like if somebody comes, you, you tell them to write a resolution and then they tend to just bugger off and disappear. But I actually did it. I, I wrote a resolution. There was one resolution that said the AP needs to stop publicizing the statement until they take a second look at it. And then the other one was, you know, be it resolved that the American Academy of Pediatrics take a look at the evidence and, and you know, notice what's going on. And then COVID happened, right? Like, the, you know, it was fall of 19 and the leadership forum was supposed to be in the spring of 2020, but that was COVID. And so it was on Zoom or, yeah. And so I kind of, um, I attended remotely and they were going through all the resolutions and then they got to mine and they're like, this is a resolution. It is unsponsored. Do we have a second silence moving on, you know? And so my resolutions just kind of died a quiet death. And then the next year, a different pediatrician who I didn't know until after she wrote the resolution, Sarah Palmer, she's a pediatrician in Indiana. She submitted a resolution to the AAP and it was still COVID. And they did an interesting thing in 21 where they put all the resolutions up online and then rank and file members of the AAP could sort of give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down and they could also leave comments. And of course, not that many pediatricians did that. There's 67,000 pediatricians in the American Academy of Pediatrics. And it was the numbers of people interacting with the resolutions was more like dozens, you know, just like people who are interested in such things. But of the pediatricians who bothered to interact with Sarah's resolution, four out of five were like, yes, I support this resolution. And her resolution was very similar. The American Academy of Pediatrics needs to reconsider what it's doing and needs to look at the evidence. Um, so the votes were like 80% in favor, you know, 20% against, and the comments were Mostly, you know, there were a few that were like, this is transphobic nonsense, but most of the comments were like, I support this. Hmm. Um, and then at that meeting, which was also virtual, we did get we, well, anyway, she, her resolution did get a second from a chapter president. And so it did get voted on and it was roundly defeated, right? <laughs> it was just like, why what, do they have to say the why? People, the people who were at the annual leadership forum are the people who are in the leadership of the American Academy of Pediatrics. And at the moment, they're all pretty firmly on team trans um, medical is, yeah, trans kid, team trans kid. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't know what the vote was okay, off the so top of my head. 
I, I have a lot of conversations in the queue. This month's been very busy for me, so I have a lot of content on this issue or intersecting with this issue. I just spoke with Stella O'Malley a couple of days ago about the WPATH um, mm -hmm. guidelines, which don't seem to be guidelines at all, but they still use the word uh, guidelines, which is a whole other yeah, conversation. I've spoken with guidelines. Yeah. Uh, Candace Jackson and her law firm about um, different strategies that they're taking to confront gender ideology in the prisons and sports mm -hmm. in the medicalization of children and detransitioner lawsuits and stuff like that. But what I brought up with both of those is that we have these professional organizations, so-called, mm -hmm that are promoting this, are they yes. at all liable? Are they at all accountable for the damage or the mistakes that they make at all? Are they able to be sued? Can they always just Mott and Bailey say, these were just guidelines, it's on the doctor because the doctor followed me. Right, right. I, this is you a perfect know, I don't know. I mean, Can Candace kind of is a lawyer, so I would yeah. trust her re response better than mine. I'm but a pediatrician. Just looking at your malpractice protocol, like if yeah. you are following the the protocol that comes from these organizations and then mm -hmm. it turns out that this is a damaging protocol, like you're spraying DDT into the nostrils of children and it turns out three years that that causes asbestos right. damage or something like that. Yeah. Are you yeah. responsible? I mean, not before God, but before Before it Well, yeah. it's interesting. What I've heard... From there are a few malpractice cases happening, you know, and um, at the moment they're going with what the organizations such as the AAP, the APA, the Endocrine Society, you know, they'll say 22, 22 medical organizations have endorsed this, right? <laughs> and what have you got? And that's the defense. <laughs> that's the defense. Yeah. So. So, so okay, like, so it's a one-way thing right now. It's like okay, th all these organizations like put their stamp on the. There's, there's like f we have 55 Michelin stars. How can you say that the there was a fly in your freaking soup, you, you numbskull, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But any yeah. given one of those uh, badges of approval, all it is yeah. is clout. All it is is prestige. Yeah. It's so, it's eminence based advice. It's not evidence based. It's eminence based. Beautiful advice. Beautiful. And. So, like, I've been talking to some detransitioners who want to sue, and we've been told, or, you know, they've been told, and I've heard, that it's really hard to sue for malpractice when the practice itself is what's broken, you know? Like, the doctor will be like, well, I'm just doing the normal Holy thing, letters, yeah. and right now the normal thing is, is to transition. So, I have, like, this Eichmann's one young all the man... Way down. Yeah, who's like, well, I was a meth head and homeless when you got my consent for my orchiectomy. So maybe he's got to weigh in by saying you didn't properly get informed consent because I was in no state. Maybe. But yeah, it's it's a mess. It's a mess. Okay. And I worry. I mean, that's one reason that I'm going to the AAP national meeting uh, next month, because I'm worried that the AAP may be sued out of existence. And I think the AAP does good stuff. I am, you know, I am a pediatrician. <laughs> like most pediatricians, I'm a bleeding heart liberal. The American Academy of Pediatrics is generally a child advocacy organization and works for things, you know, like gun control and, uh, 
you know, getting, getting kids insurance and making sure that the women, infant and children program is well-funded and, you know, all those kinds of things that I think are important. So I don't want the AAP to die. I just want the AAP to get a clue, Hmm. but I'm Hmm. having a hard time. So right at the beginning of where the conversation and the final edit will begin, you you mentioned something uh, about a uh, falling out in 2002 there's the college oh, right. of pediatrics so so there is this alternative is there, there any yeah, sort there of like schism. distribution of powers or like some sort of competitive co-processing where it's you have it's not it's not competitive at all so what happened was the american academy of pediatrics probably put out a statement i don't know the specifics but basically came out in support of the rights of gay couples to adopt children so the ap is like Two men or two women can make marvelous parents. Gay people should be allowed to adopt. And a group of pediatricians, more conservative, more religious, were, were incensed by this. And so they left the American Academy of Pediatrics and they formed their own organization. Instead of the AAP, it's the ACP, the American College of Pediatrics. But if you go to their website, they will say the ACP is an organization of more than 600 pediatricians, which I'm guessing means it's probably less than 600. But, you know, so it's in the hundreds. It's less than a thousand. And the AAP has 67,000 members. Now, you don't have to join the AAP if you want to work as a pediatrician. And they want a lot of money from you. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. um but the AAP so or the, the six, ACP, it's all. I don't know about the ACP. I don't know if they want okay. money, but the AAP does want hundreds of dollars from you. Um, and then you get to say F-A-A-P after your name, I guess. Fuck the ACP? No, fellow of the American Academy of oh. Pediatrics. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Sorry for the <laughs> No, so I mean, I, that's what I put in my signature. It's like yeah. Julia Mason, M-S-M-D-F-A-A-P. Because I just want to emphasize I'm in this group. I'm yeah. trying to get this group to move from okay. the inside. Okay. Um, so it seems like the AAP is somewhat kind of like a teacher, some sort of union, I guess. Uh, it is advocacy. It, it seems like a... Uh, an activist organization or at least heavily witted towards changing yes. the culture. Right. I think it's reasonable to call it an activist organization. So it, it, it engages in advocacy, also okay. education for pediatricians. Advocacy and education. Okay. Um, and education. So and it has the journal, the journal pediatrics, who I always thought was a really good journal until I found out some of the stuff they've published. Okay. And I tried to get them to publish something for me. That was exciting. Did it, go through didn't go well um (laughs) that was um so at the end of 2020 they 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 lifted up jack turban's article um that was based on the united states transfer the usts the 2015 usts which was an online convenience sample survey where they offered prizes for participation, but he data mined that for multiple articles that were published in high impact journals. And I just, I still am baffled by the whole thing. So they said that that article, the one that they published was their number one article of 2020. And that was just like, I don't know, sort of a last straw moment for me. And so I wrote an email to Dr. First, who is the editor in chief of pediatrics of the journal. And I was like, sort of like at long last, have you no shit? Like, I was just like, dude, 
Seriously. Well, why? Because of the, the data was problem? Or? Sorry? Just to concretize why you were incensed. I was upset because this was not a serious article. It was not based on uh, a good source of information, and it was not respectable. And they're saying it's the number one article. So then the editor writes back to me, and he's like, well, we chose our top 10 based on engagement. Not like we're not saying that was the highest quality article. No, no, we're just saying popularity. it's not the most engagement. Yeah, it's a popularity contest. And I'm like, well, I think that's ridiculous. And you know, and I'm concerned. And he's like, well, you should you should submit something. You should submit something to the journal. Give us a resolution and, like, and have five people sponsor it of uh, very esoteric. <laughs> Well, he was he was saying that I should write an article for his journal, and they do have a they they do have a format where it's called pediatric perspectives, and it's like the view of a general pediatrician in the trenches, and they write okay. about something. So I looked at that, and I'm like, and I told him, I said I'm skeptical, and he said, Yeah, you might be surprised. So I wrote something, and I submitted it, and he sent it out to three different gender doctors. Oh, as the peer review. Okay, which so are I not said, gender concerned. doctors are not at all biased against exactly. gender medicine. And so the responses that came back were just, I mean, they were kind of hilarious. So one of the lines in the article was that a small child will believe the adults if they tell them that when they're older, the doctors will change their sex. We can't. And it's cruel to imply that we can because, you know, that's just developmentally informed statement. Little kids believe what you tell them. And so it's just insane to tell a small child, a child young enough to believe in Santa Claus that, you know, yeah, you feel like a girl, you know, like you like you like pink, you like pink, you like sparkles. Um, that means you're actually a girl. You're a girl in a boy's body. And so we're going to change your name and we're going to change your you know, presentation. And when you're older, the doctors will change your sex. And a little kid's just going to swallow that hole. Yeah. Okay, great. And then you, oh my God, you know, I, I was complaining before that puberty blockers lock the kid in. This will lock in a, a four-year-old. This will lock in a six-year-old. So I had that statement and one of the reviewers was offended by it saying that, you know, we really do make a lot of changes. We, do, we really do get like, like we come really close to changing their sex was one of the complaints. Like it's wrong. To, like I said, it's wrong, you know. And then another one said that this sentence would be offensive to pediatric readers of the journal pediatrics. And I'm like, okay. Hmm. I was a, I was a gifted child and I, I did some, you know, advanced reading for my age, but I was not reading medical journals, not even in high school. Yeah. That is not a thing. And what, why would being offended by something matter? Yeah. Why? I, I don't know, but this was apparently why they could not publish my essay because it could offend pediatric readers yeah. of okay. the general pediatrics. Okay. All right. Okay. So, right. Okay. That's so I, I tried to influence the AP with the resolution. It died a quiet death. I tried to publish in the journal pediatrics. It got peer reviewed by biased people and, and, and rejected. And then this year we submitted another resolution and we just had five authors, five different pediatricians as authors. 
And the AAP did an interesting new thing where they decided they passed the rule in March, which was before the deadline for us submitting the resolution. So they could say they made this rule change before they saw our resolution. But the new rule said that unsponsored resolutions, pediatricians cannot comment and vote. So if you were a person who knows all about the annual leadership forum and you went to the annual leadership forum website and you looked, you could find the text of our resolutions or our our single resolution, resolution number 27, which said, be it resolved that the AAP will undertake a formal systematic review of the evidence because everybody else has. And so you could find it, you could read it. Um, But if you were a regular pediatrician, just looking at your email from the AAP and you got the email that said, hey, the annual leadership form is coming up and we'd like to hear what you think of the resolutions, click here. If you click that link, you went to a website that had a drop down list and they said, select the resolution you want to interact with. And it jumped from 26 to 28. 27 wasn't there. So Hmm. only the most plugged in pediatricians could even read my resolution from the spring Mm -hmm. and none of them could react. So there were some people who wrote their comments on resolution number 28, sort of like, you know, they made protesting comments and that whole thing got written up in the daily mail. Wait, what what was resolution 28? I'm sorry. Uh, Oh, resolution 28 was actually one about how all residencies need to educate their residents in transgender healthcare. So it was interesting. The transgender resolutions were, 27 and 28. So there were people commenting on 28 because that was feasible. It was possible, but they were really saying what happened to number 27. So while this organization is pushing education on this issue, they're squashing or denying more research on this issue. So it seems like the education is not tied into research. They're two different things. It's an ideology. It's not a... Fact-based. It's an idea. Yes, definitely. And okay. they are and they are squashing and hiding the voices of dissent. Okay. Okay. And yeah. so I guess the game is to develop alternative organization that can, uh, I guess, garner some esteem and like with Sagem and other organizations. Okay. Yes. Sagem. Have some yes, cred, I, right? So you, mm-hmm. you need either alternative organizations that can mm-hmm. do this work, that can present this research and get out the word. Um, to challenge the AAP, but the AAP seems like a juggernaut. It, it's probably plugged into so many other institutions. It's all part of government contracts and NGOs, and it's got so much more funding than Sagem could ever have. Um, yeah, what would cause it to change course on this issue? And are we looking at 5, 10, 20 years for it? to change could it just like overnight like oh we're backing away from this like what happened with the tavistock which is still kind of a complex it's possible it's possible i will say like i've heard that you know multiple european pediatric leaders are dismayed at what the ap is doing right now you know so people in finland and sweden and england they're like what is going on over there why are they you know and my impression is that the leadership of the AP sort of got hoodwinked into this. I really feel, I mean, I'm just very generous. (laughs) And so I feel like 
people who are in the leadership of the American Academy of Pediatrics are generally bleeding heart liberals like me, and they're busy. And um, they got pulled into, the, they participated in something with the HRC, I think in 2016, that was about transgender rights and had mentions of transgender children. Human rights then, campaign? Human rights campaign, yeah. Okay, thank you. And, um, and then I'm guessing 2016, Jason Rafferty, who at that time I think might have still been a resident. He was very early, a very young doctor, you know, early in his training. That's mm-hmm. the hallmark of a lot of these. Yeah, no. He I goes mean, you got to gotta get your name out there. It's a very yeah. male typical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he goes to the leadership and he's like, this is the new thing. This is the new civil rights. You know, this is the new civil rights movement. Trans is the new gay. We need to get on board. We need to be on the right side of history. And all of these people who are more like my age, you know, late 50s, early 60s, they're like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm for that. I'm, what you said. Yeah, I'm for it. And so he comes up with this statement and nobody fact checks it. <laughs> Well, I guess it's peer reviewed, which means it gets reviewed by other gender enthusiasts. Right. So so it doesn't get fact checked. It doesn't get looked at. It gets published. James Cantor rips it to pieces and the AP is just like, no, no, no. no, no, You know, they don't pay any attention to that. And it's sort of like that classic. It's not the crime. It's the cover up. I feel like the AAP just got backed into a corner. You know, they. They just fell into it because, yeah. like I said before, the endocrine society said we have no idea how to tell which kids. Uh, yeah, but, but do, they we'll still, they but still. The AP's uh, like, oh, we'll tell you. You just the ask endocrine them. society is like, well, we're not going to tell you how to get on the yellow brick road, but here's how to build it. Yeah. Right. right? So I mean, yeah. they, it's all a piece, but um, they, they is, just covered. They kicked piece. it. They kicked it out. I I don't know what's happening. Um. I just don't, I don't see how the, a system, a professional organization, which is run not on professionalism so much as status, mm-hmm. um, people are going to be covering their status. They're going to be covering for their reputation, right? Right. So right. I, I, the reputational risk for the American Academy of Pediatrics is huge right now. And I don't know how many people in the AAP are aware of this, but they they need they need to be aware um i mean the the washington not the washington post the wall street journal right so i got published in the wall street journal um in august saying that you know the ap's making a mistake and and all this stuff and they and the ap said we need to reply right so the wall street journal let them reply and that was fascinating because in their reply they gave a, they changed the definition of affirmative care and they made, they gave me a great, they gave a great definition of affirmative care. They're like, Oh, well, affirmative care is just like, you know, accepting the child as they are and not holding them to any particular path. And uh, it's not medicalization. It's not medical treatments and surgery. In fact, comma, for the vast majority, we recommend the opposite and my response is like, great, what's the opposite? Tell me more. Tell me more about this opposite of medical treatment and surgery, because this sounds like something I could get behind. And it was a fascinating experience because then we got to respond and um, 
and I was on vacation and I was on a boat pulling away from shore and I was losing internet. (laughs) And my co-author is like, we've got him on the ropes. We need to go for the jugular. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want to kill the AP. I just, I want to cement this win. This is a win. I just want to take the win. I don't want to like kick them while they're down. I just, I really just want them to turn this giant ship around. I don't, I want to kill them. Um, wow. And so we did, we just, you know, our, our response was fairly, fairly measured as well. So yeah. I'd like to keep moving on that. Yeah. I'm going to be at the meeting. I'm going to be, hopefully I'm going to be wearing like a button or a little sticker that says <laughs> I support resolution 27. And that's going to oh, be like okay. our little secret sign so that other people okay. can, can find me and we can talk to each other. And on Saturday, the 8th of October, there's going to be a demonstration outside the Anaheim convention center. So it's going to be in, you know, Disney and well near Disney. And um, I've told them that pediatricians hate being picketed because every year there are anti-circumcision demonstrators that you have to walk by. And so they're going to try very hard to be quiet and respectful, but we are going to have speeches. I'm supposed to give a speech. Uh, <laughs> and, and we'll just see what happens. But that's one reason I want to talk to you is because I don't know how many pediatricians watch your videos, but yeah, no, I do. I there. do know. Um, I don't know if she wants me to say who it is, but I do know a number of different organizers uh, mm-hmm. involved in, in this demonstration. I do wonder, yes. um, I've, I've gone to American college and I've seen anti-abortion protesters and they have like uh, pictures of uh, fetuses and stuff like that. Yeah. There's it, not going to be any of that. Well, yeah. Okay. But well, maybe they should, but um, do, do the anti-circumcision people like, like have like bloody little penises yes. pictures? Yeah. Okay. They have, yeah, they okay. have, they have like icky pictures of, uh, okay. They have some uh, botched uh, vaginoplasties. I mean, you, you, you I on, know. on a picket the, the, sign, you know. Okay, here's the here's the deal, Benjamin. You've been brewing this for years, right? I know, I know. You are deep in it, <laughs> and I am deep in it. But I am trying very hard <laughs> to give to, to maintain my awareness of the normies. Yeah, and I still remember when I saw the 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 title of a book, "Born in Your Own Body." by um helen brusco evans and and i was like oh wow that's like (laughs) you know like like to deny to like to refute the idea that anybody could be born in the wrong body for me as like just inching into this beginning to wonder about it Mm -hmm. seemed like a strong statement so yeah like your brain changes the more you learn about this you know, and then you either decide to wall it all off or you get incredibly incensed. But if you go too far too fast, you just engage the defensive reflexes of the people you're trying to reach. And I am trying to reach pediatricians. And they are firmly in the lefty liberal camp. And so it's like, I refuse to be quoted in right-wing publications. Cause like, if you're, if you're a liberal, it's like the conservatives have cooties, you know? And if you just touch them, then, you know, you can be, you can be discounted. And so I'm trying very hard to keep those bridges open. Yeah. No, that that's, 
That's wise. I would respond on a theoretical level that is not that attitude towards conservatism, mm -hmm. what allows uh, absolute insanity, um, because the liberals have roped themselves off from any sort of pushback. Right. Yes. And yes. then it's, it's you just get wild. one crazy idea like trans kid and there's nobody to stand against it. The the polarization is just a huge problem. It's a problem on both ends. You know, yeah. there's, there's, there's problems on both ends. There's crazy yeah. on both sides. But when you're in one side, you you yeah. only see the crazy of the other side. And it's just fascinating because my Twitter feed is a bizarre mix yeah. of left, right and heterodox. And, um, hmm. yeah. Wow. Yeah. The people are living in their own bubbles and trying to pop some. So, uh, Anaheim, that's on the 8th of October, but what's Sagem? Could you plug Sagem for, uh, just say what is, what's, who's it for and what yeah, it's for okay. as a resource? I think, I think you're right when you said that Sagem is an attempt to create a, a more reputable organization to talk about gender medicine, because I don't think that WPATH is reputable. I think they've been completely taken over by activists, just the eunuch chapter. I'm sure. Oh God. Um, Have you met any eunuchs in your practice yet? No. Okay. I am. I'm willing to say this very firmly. A child, a Western child cannot identify as a eunuch. That is not a thing. It can't happen. Like perhaps a Korean child from hundreds of years ago might like think, oh, those dudes, like they have a nice life. They wear cool clothes. Like maybe a Korean child from, I don't know what dynasty that was. You know, they might be like, I think it might be cool to be like that because they have better, they have a better life than me. But no, there are no American, English, German, French. There are no Western children who aspire to be eunuchs. That is not a thing because children have no capacity to understand what it means to lose your testicles. You can't know what your testicles do when they haven't woken up yet. Okay. <laughs> like, you know, nope, you know, Oh God, I wish I wasn't bothered by these pesky sexual urges said no child ever. It doesn't happen. <sighs> Okay, back to Sagem. Sorry. <laughs> Society of Evidence-Based Gender Society Medicine. Society of Evidence-Based Gender Medicine. So yeah. we are an organization of doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists, who are also doctors, um, researchers who are concerned about the crazy and uh, gender medicine. And we're trying to put forth some, some, some reasons. So we were involved in like we get involved in things like translating Swedish documents when the Swedes do something, you know, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> we'll put some money into getting that translated so the rest of the world can read it. We um, we organized a conference at a Florida uh, residency program where we brought in um, Rita Kertikaltialo. I love her. <laughs> I love her name. The Finnish uh, the Finnish psychiatrist. Um, I mean, she came in via Zoom, but uh, we've been pretty, pretty active in getting her to come and talk to American experts. Okay. So this, this she, society, Sagem is for professionals mostly. Yes. But yeah, it we are probably has some we access donations. for donations. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> we'd love donations because we are, like you said, we don't have anything near the budget of the American Academy of Pediatrics. We're running on a shoestring. We're pretty much a volunteer run organization. We're all doing this in our spare time. Um, we, uh, yeah, it's literally just a bunch of people doing this in their spare time. Uh, but we're, we're concerned about what's going on. And uh, we've published a few things in peer-reviewed journals. And we've published multiple letters to the editor when something particularly horrible gets published. And then we publish a letter to the editor saying, hello, did you notice this? What about mm. this? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but it's very much trying to be like a serious professional organization yeah. where we are operating within the, within the world of journals and editors yeah. and okay. conferences. But uh, take, for instance, I think it was CBS News, either yesterday or the day before, published an uh, article that uh, the removal of healthy breast tissue uh, is and tied so to happy. quality of life. Uh, for yeah. uh, trans-identified females or what they call trans men, I believe. Yeah. Um, so an article like that would come about. An article and like your that, then we might would, write and say, yeah, we would say, you clarify. know, you, you surveyed those people three months out. That's, that's yeah. definitely within the honeymoon period. Although I have personally talked to people who say, the moment I opened my eyes as waking up from the anesthesia, my first thought was, oh, my God, what have I done? So some people regret immediately, but even those yeah. people are probably unlikely to tell a researcher three mm -hmm. months out. Like, it takes a while mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. really come to terms with that yeah. kind of regret. Yeah, let alone speak to Benjamin Boyce on his piddly little podunk uh, podcast, but even even I've heard that story. Yeah. Yeah. It's a mess. So, it is a tremendous, tremendous uh, story. Um, it's probably the wrong word, but it is a, it's a historical um, fiasco. Yes. Fiasco. Perhaps even a clusterfuck, if that was a technical term. Um, but uh, thank you for, for allowing me to, to poke your brain and hear your side of things, because it's hopeful that... Even though voices like yours, you might feel isolated and stuff, but as you probably know on Twitter and other social media, more and more people are gathering steam and more and more professionals. It really comes down to professionals, maybe even making their name. You find some young guy who wants to make a name for himself and you ride his ambitious testosterone-fueled um, <laughs> psychopathy uh, to prominence. To, right. There's, there's only know. so much a crone like me can accomplish. So we need to get into the young, the heroic young man. On you, this need, yeah, you need a Jack Turbin on your side to like, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, facilitate, uh, you gotta, you gotta ride the, the sex differences and right. ambition and stuff. I'm just saying. I'm, I'll, I'll just be there with my cane, like advising them <laughs> the best path. Take this. You'll need it. Uh, yeah. The winning path. The yeah, true W path. path. Yeah. Oh God. That'd be yeah, great. Well, um, thank you very much, Julia, uh, for your time, your expertise. People can find you on Twitter and you're a part of Sagum. Is there like, right. do you, do you uh, live stream your pediatrician? Uh, do you have like a little how-to, uh, you know, wash no. your toes or something, uh, <laughs> video series for kids on YouTube? I haven't, I haven't done any. I keep, telling, I keep telling my patients that 
when I have time, which I suppose will not be for a while, I'm going to write a book. And the name of the book will be Kids Do What Works. Oh. But that's a completely different topic. Oh. I spend a lot of time explaining to the parents of three-year-olds that you cannot logic them into better behavior. You know, they are pre-logic and it's a waste of energy to talk to them about their behavior <laughs> when they're just learning language. But um, could it be the case that this totally off to totally off topic, but could it be the yeah. case that institutions are basically three year olds and you can only logic your way towards changing an institution level? Like this is just a giant lumbering kind of uh, collective intelligence that basically needs to be corralled. Like uh, probably an institution like does what toddler. works. It does right, what we works. We just need to put the AP in a timeout, tell them to think <laughs> like they could think about what they've done. Just sit there. <laughs> Um, I will. I mean, I've definitely decided that politics operates at a middle school level yeah. forever. If you're lucky. Yeah. The best yeah. of times. Yeah. That's as yeah. much as we can hope for. Yeah. Well, mm. Mm. Yeah, well excellent. No, people uh, lack imagination. Yeah. Well, you just need a lot of different strategies, I'm saying. And I think that I spent 15 years in preschool and uh, not... I wasn't held back. I actually worked in, in the industry, yeah, but that prepared me more than anything for being a political actor insofar as I am. Definitely. Definitely. It's just, well, it's just pure human id right there. Yeah. It's right there for you. Yeah. Roiling. Yeah. You learn a lot. Yeah. Watching little kids. Yeah. And, and the people who watch over them. Yeah. Well, they oh. have, they're amazing. I mean, three-year-olds have amazing brains. They got all the neurons of an adult brain. Huh. In fact, they have more because yeah. <laughs> from birth to three, they're making more and more and more. And then after that, you start pruning them. It's sort of a use it or lose it process. Yeah. So they have just like this big brain with no wisdom, yeah. <laughs> no wisdom at all. But they remember everything. Mm -hmm. They know everything that happened eight days ago. You don't. I don't. Mm -hmm. You don't remember what happened, but they do. Because that's how their brain is. And that's how they end up. It seems like they're manipulating the adults. They're not. They're just a three-year-old three does 3,000 things every day. And three of them work. And they always remember which three. Oh, okay. Yeah. And all they got to do all day is interact with their environment and get it to work for them. Yeah. And so, you know, you got a two-year-old who trained her mom to feed her cookies. Clever, clever yeah. little devil. They, they are clever. <laughs> <laughs> They're adorable. They are. I love them. <laughs> so I make them cry. <laughs> I went into pediatrics. In your I went into pediatrics because I love children. And so I make them cry. Yeah. <laughs> Every for single the, day. For their own good. That's oh, okay. <laughs> it's my job. That's fun. It is fun. Well, that part's not fun. Okay, that part's not fun, but I like my job. Mm. They do cry. Those are separate things. Okay. Well, Julia, I'll let you get back to your job, and thank you so much. I'll let you know when this is out. I'm a little bit backed up right now, but I'll try to get this out before, get probably out early, before, early, early next week. Um, I just okay. have a lot on the queue, but um, thank you. I'm, I'm looking forward to what you mentioned. This sounds really exciting. Oh. It's great. It's fun. Bella and Candace and yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot there. Yeah. So um, have a good day. Good day. Bye. Bye.